0: In order to be a learner, we have to identify ourselves as a learner, and belonging is critical to that self-identity piece.
1: I'm Salisa Steele. I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning
2: Podcast.
1: To be a learner, we have to identify as a learner. And belonging is critical to self-identification. That means all learning businesses need to think about how they can create situations and offerings where individuals feel a sense of belonging. Dr. Susie Wise is a learning experience designer and author of the book, Design for Belonging, How to Build Inclusion and Collaboration in Your Communities. Susie coaches leaders in equity design and innovation practices and teaches at the D School at Stanford. Susie and Jeff talk about the fundamental role of belonging in learning, eight moments of belonging that Susie has identified, and ways to intentionally design learning experiences where belonging can emerge. Jeff and Susie spoke in April 2023.
2: Could you tell listeners just a, a bit more about the work that you do?
0: Yes, So my work sits at the intersection of design and community building, particularly with a lens of both equity and complexity. So I work with all kinds of people in all kinds of organizations, mostly adult learners, which I know are what your podcast listeners are really interested in. And I do sometimes teach at the Stanford D School, and that is with graduate students. Those tend to be folks that are coming from a wide variety of disciplines because our focus at the d school is really on this pedagogy of design thinking the approach to human-centered design where we value empathy and prototyping and we try to embrace complexity and navigate ambiguity
2: i love embracing complexity navigating ambiguity such such a big part of learning broadly that we all have to do throughout our lives now, a big focus of our conversation today is going to be the, the topic of belonging, which you have, you have written a book about designing for belonging, specifically with a, an eye towards communities. And it'd be great to maybe start out with that word, belonging, and defining it, or maybe better, um, describing it, uh, yeah. that might be the better approach. And then, and then how did that become such a, a focus for you?
0: Absolutely. Thank you. So, belonging, and as you kind of say in the way with describing it, I am pretty expansive in the book about thinking about belonging. And I think it's really important for us to start acknowledging that belonging is a feeling. Mm. And it's that feeling of being welcomed and invited in. And by invited in, not just to show up, but to actually be your authentic self, to bring your gifts to the context. That is what it feels like to belong is to know that you are deeply and wholly accepted to show up as your whole self.
2: And I like that you emphasize that it is a, it's a feeling. Um, I mean, people talk about having a sense of of belonging or or that feeling of belonging.
0: Yeah. So just on that note, that sense of belonging, that really matters because it's, it's in your body. Right. Mm -hmm. And it is, in fact, something that if we don't acknowledge it, well, or just it's I'll say it the other way. I think belonging, once we acknowledge it's a feeling that we need to have, then we can look to notice Wow, we need to have it to show up as a learner. We need to have it to show up as a worker. We need to have it to show up as a partner, as a participant. Um, It's really fundamental. Belonging sits you know, in current visualizations of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it kind of sits in the middle, but supposedly in this, I, this is total hearsay, but supposedly Maslow's students were thinking that it should actually go lower down in the pyramid because it is fundamental to who we get to be in the context of other humans. And we're almost always in the context of other humans.
2: Oh, exactly. And it does feel just very foundational and that notion too of being intentional about it, being conscious of it and intentional about it ourselves. And then also as people who are designing or trying to facilitate and create experiences for others, you, you have to be aware of it if you want people to really feel like that they can be part of that experience and get something out of that experience.
0: Yes, one of the ways that I came to do this work on design for belonging was related to what you just said the kind of the fundamental nature of it and the need to be able to feel it where this work came from was I was working with school leaders so this was in the context of K12 education in the United States I was working with leaders on how they might use design mindsets to change the culture of their school and in particular to serve their students furthest from opportunity. And we were framing that work as thinking about the equity challenges in their school. But one of the things that I noticed is that word, right, which can be a strangely contentious word, was sometimes throwing folks off. It would kind of take them to a technical place where they started thinking about numbers and discipline and Numbers about discipline can be really important to dig into, so I'm not knocking that. But what I found was it it, it was causing them to kind of freeze up in their work. And it was a, a mentor of mine at the National Equity Project who shared with me a little bit of the work of John Powell, and he has this piece on Othering and Belonging that he wrote with Stephen Menendian. And that framework I shared with leaders that I was working with this idea of othering and belonging. And what I found was that it really unlocked people because thinking about belonging, remembering when and where they've had that sense of belonging that we spoke of really reminded them of what they were trying to do when they were doing equity work, that it wasn't an abstraction about numbers. It was actually that they were trying to think about, wow, who in my... In their case, school, we could think about the folks listening to this podcast in your organization or the learners that you're hoping to serve. Who's walking into that room already feeling like they belong? Because they walk into every room feeling like they belong. And who might be questioning? And there are a whole kind, number of kinds of reasons why you might be questioning your belonging. But the, if we focus on belonging and we remember our own f- places of feeling, of belonging, Then it opens us up to the design conversation, because the other side of the work here is how do we think about design? How do we intentionally create situations where belonging can emerge? And I say belonging can emerge because, again, belonging is a feeling. I can't make anybody feel it, but I can use all kinds of things to help it come forward, to help somebody know that they can belong here.
2: So a number of different threads to pull out there, and I want to do our best to, to pull it all of them during the, the course of this um, conversation. Before we go into sort of talking about the experiences that people we may have, other people may have or designing for them, I'm wondering, is, is there something personal in this for you that's kind of driving your interest? Do you, do you have a, a sort of personal story, personal relationship with belonging that maybe informs some of this of uh, the work that you're doing?
0: Thank you, and I I'd like to invite everybody to to have that inquiry too. I have multiple, and I I didn't start from the place of reflecting on that, but as as I as I saw leaders be able to use this frame of othering and belonging, then I started asking myself, well, where have I belonged and where have I not? And indeed, and I tell this story in the book. I could locate some moments in my childhood where I really had a strong sense of not belonging. And I could then kind of look into those moments and mine them for what could have been different. I will say, since we're in audio land, I am a white woman. I have some of the privileges that come with being a white-skinned person in our contemporary American culture. So I haven't had discrimination on those levels. But I've definitely had experiences, particularly in graduate school, in taking computer science courses where I had real strong senses of not belonging. And I would have to coach myself kind of on the walk to the building, in the elevator, to the class, like, no, I'm in this class, I'm in this class, I'm in this class, I can be in this class. <laughs> and even try to convince myself, they need my perspective. I'm bringing a different perspective. So those are some of the memories that came to me as I as I started working on it. And it's, and it's in part why, again, I think this frame of belonging is helpful is because all kinds of people with all kinds of backgrounds and identities can probably find a place, even if it's rare, where they haven't felt belonging. Even if you're going back to that birthday party you went to when you were nine years old and you didn't know how to play the game, whatever how small or insignificant, I think if we can ground in a story of a time and place of belonging and of not belonging, it sets us up for the kind of inquiry that we wanna do.
2: And I feel certain everybody has felt it at at one point or another in, in their lives can probably even come up with, you know, recent times, most of us can. And that whole idea of sort of coaching yourself self talk sounds very productive to to make sure you are kind of in a in a dialogue with yourself around this that, that that I do belong that part of your mindset is that that you can grow you can adapt you can be part of this and that's completely legitimate and to make sure you're always checking in on that you you provide a, a number of exercises throughout your book which i uh, think are great and and at least one of them is around thinking about those experiences of your own where you might have felt that sense of, of well, either of belonging or of not belonging, of othering, the the, the word you use uh, around that. And I think that's so important both for us, for ourselves as individuals, but also if you're going to have the, the empathy that, that you need to have, you have to be able to do that, I would think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Another exercise that I really find that is helpful for teams to use in their work or for educators, learning experience designers to use with people that have participated in their programs is the emotional journey map. Mm. And that is a tool where you just think about the y-axis as positive and negative feelings of belonging. And then the X-axis is time. And so that could be the start of this program or the start of this semester, whatever the context is, the unit of time that you want to think about. It could be this conference experience and to, to invite people to mark what are some highs and lows and then have conversations about that. It's a great kind of qualitative tool to use to understand what people's experience really is and that then sets you up to be able to dig into wow are we noticing any patterns was this particular part of our flow a moment where a lot of people said that they didn't feel very strong sense of belonging that might be a moment then to really attend to and to think about redesigning or Mm reimagining
1: As someone who listens to the Leading Learning Podcast, you should know about the Leading Learning Newsletter, which you can subscribe to at leadinglearning.com inbox. The newsletter is inbox intelligence for learning businesses and helps you understand the latest technology, marketing, and learning trends and grow your learning business. Best of all, it's a free resource. As a subscriber, you get Leading Links, our monthly curated collection of resources to help you grow the reach, revenue, and impact of your learning business. The Podcast Digest, a monthly summary of podcast episodes released during the previous month, plus periodic announcements highlighting leading learning webinars and other educational opportunities designed to benefit learning business professionals. Subscribe for free leadinglearning.com slash inbox. And if you're already subscribed, point a colleague to leadinglearning.com slash inbox.
2: And we've already been referencing it some, but this, the whole idea of belonging and how it factors into learning and the experiences that uh, we have in learning. And I'd love to talk about some of the the specific types of experiences that we tend to have as as adults going to conferences, of course, you know, being parts of different discussion communities, things like that. But I think it would also be interesting to talk about belonging at a more sort of fundamental, foundational level, because we live in a world now where it's kind of been gratifying for me to see that the the concept of lifelong learning has become a a big thing now. People have to be learners. You have to grow and, and adapt even to identify as a, as a learner or as a lifelong learner, that's sort of like a category that we're creating and telling people they need to be a part of. And I'm not sure everybody feels equally prepared to belong to that category. Can you you talk a little bit about belonging as it relates to being a a, a learner in general and and an adult learner specifically?
0: Yes, absolutely. And you're, you're exactly right. Belonging is fundamental. One of the people that I reference in the book is Dr. Camille Farrington, and she's out of the University of Chicago. She studies high schools in particular, but the work extends to adult learning environments as well. That in order to be a learner, we have to identify ourselves as a learner, and belonging is critical to that self identity piece so we have to be able to see ourselves in the room in the course in those ways of being that we're trying to activate in that learning experience. So that's that's the kind of fundamental piece. And then I think the interesting thing about that then is how do we if we're recognizing that that isn't necessarily what our group is feeling, right that we have folks who perhaps weren't successful in prior learning experiences, that they didn't feel like that was a place of acceptance or success. How can we show that these um, adult learning spaces, whether they're formal or informal or online or in person, that they are really places for you to get to show up and be yourself. And that's where this idea of some particular moments to pay attention to, I think, can come into play.
2: Well, this might be a, a great time to turn to that because you do, you devote a significant portion of your your book to what you describe as those kind of moments of belonging. And it'd be great, first of all, to, to talk a little bit about about those? What what are some of those moments that, that you've defined? And then maybe a little bit about how they tend to play out in your typical adult learning type experiences, say a conference or, or, or a, a continuing education class that, that somebody is going to.
0: Great. Yeah. So I talk about eight moments of belonging and I'll say too, I think they are ones that really matter are and are useful. I also think that anybody who is Planning, designing, organizing, learning experiences might have some additional ones that they want to name that are particularly true to their context. So certainly feel free to, to, to not think that these are like. From on high. They're just a way to kind of start to think about the power of particular moments. That's the first move to make is to not be thinking of all time as one thing, but recognizing, again, particularly for adult learners, that they're used to using their time in lots of different ways. They want to have agency over their time, et cetera. So some of the moments I think about and shout out for folks that have seen the book, there's a great mural artist who helps to to create these pages and there are these fold out pages. And so they kind of, they flow in an interesting way. So one moment to think about is the invitation. We may be pretty used to this, but it always matters to really double down on the invitation. That's not just time, date, place. That is, who do you get to be if you show up to this learning experience? Why do we want you to come to it? What might your role get to be if you come here? Then the thinking about entering. So like really being conscious that that crossing the threshold is a moment that matters for your belonging. It's actually we know From the work of Claude Steele and others around stereotype threat, it's in the moment of entry that often we trigger we're on high alert Mm. and we can stereotype threat can be triggered. And so that's that notion of like, oh, I might not be long because I don't see other people that look like me or sound like me or any other kind of identifiers aren't being called forth.
2: Yeah and I love that image of sort of like standing on the threshold and I mean that is the point where we're you know we're scanning we're judging we're we're making our sort of decisions about is this for me or not. Yeah. So that's where it's
0: like a great moment to have creativity. What can you do with that moment so people actually really want to just run on in, right? As a metaphor, right? And not just stand on the sidelines. It's again, you're probably a moment that you can remember from adolescence of a really awkward threshold moment. And that's not what you're trying to create in your adult learning experience. So paying attention to that entry, that threshold really matters. Then of course we have participating, right? It was kind of the meat of the matter. But I also really like to pair that with the moment of contributing. What I found in my work, and as I was doing interviews and having conversations with early versions of these tools, I didn't actually have contributing as a moment at first. I had a moment that I called the dance, which is kind of like being in the flow. But often people like referred to that kind of in very literal ways. But when I was having conversations with people about the dance, what I realized they were really talking about was contributing. That I showed up and I somehow got, whether it was just that I got to ask a question, right? That's pretty low bar. Did I get to actually participate by building part of a mural or building part of a tool, right? That wants to be a kind of active participation where I actually get to leave feeling like I contributed to something, I moved the movement forward in some way in whatever context it is. So that really matters. I also really liked to help us pay attention to some moments that were maybe less comfortable talking about, like dissent. What do we do and how do we design for people to give critical feedback to say, actually, this didn't work for me? Or can we take a break now? (laughs) Because this has gone on longer than I wanted it to. Like that wants to get designed in from the get-go so that I know that that's part of my belonging. Because I actually, if I'm able to offer feedback, positive or negative, and see it taken up by the organization, by the context, by the event, conference, whatever it is, wow, I feel like I've participated, I've contributed, and somebody actually took my feedback up that builds my belonging. So that's a moment that really matters.
2: I think that's such an interesting one because, you know, if you're sitting in, say, a conference session or, or your average class, there are always going to be some people who are fine with speaking up. If, if they've got something, you know, they're going to get it out there. But you may or may not have those people in the room. And then you've probably got any number of people in the room who are thinking, no, no, this isn't this isn't right, don't want to do it. But they're not going to say anything because they don't really feel invited to say anything. And so it might show up on an evaluation. Like That that tends to be the, the main form of dissent that happens. Right, in your, right. You, and you that's know, a but, little
0: late. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Potentially. I mean, maybe it changes things for next year, but exactly to your point. So I think there's a space, and part of why I lift up these different moments is not because I have the answers for how to do them, right? Anybody listening is going to have the way that they might want to think about it in their context, but it's to remember to attend to and intentionally design. Okay, how am I going to get real time feedback, right? You know, you could create a role of somebody who's just like asking, you know, tapping people on the shoulder quietly during the thing, being like, what's going to you? Do you think we need a break? I don't know if that's the answer in your context, right? But we can think then, and I don't want to jump ahead, but that gets us to the, like the notion of levers mm. is expanding kind of our creativity. But first, in order to do that, we really want to think, kind of break down our experience into some key moments so that we're able to pay attention and really kind of zoom in, focus on moments that we know matter, particularly for belonging.
2: And can you talk, I should say, you you go through all of these moments in the book, you know, lay them out in in detail and discuss them. Very much recommend that that folks read the book. You mentioned also the the illustrations and the murals that sort of take people through this, which are also wonderful. So strong recommendation for folks to actually dive into this material and read it in detail. Could you touch on the concept of diverging and and exiting and accounting for that moment? Because I don't think that gets accounted for a, a lot of the time.
0: Thank you so much for bringing it up. I was about to like butt back in and be like, okay, so we talked about the invitation, the entering, participating, contributing, even flowing, dissenting, and then this notion of diverging and exiting. And I I raise it in the book it, kind of exactly for the reason that you said it doesn't get enough attention. We often, if we're starting to work on belonging, particularly if we're trying to build more diverse and inclusive. Kind of body of folks coming together, building a more inclusive community. We think we kind of naturally go towards the invitation and and potentially the entering, but that's not good enough. And in real life, particularly in adult learning contexts, whether it's a conference or a longer format course of some kind, the how do I still get to belong if I have to stop out or if I decide that this isn't my path? that's it's helpful kind of remembering. And I think it's a nudge to remember that this is not a zero sum game. We always, particularly as adults, are existing in multiple contexts. We have multiple identities and those are gonna push and pull on how we're able to participate. So attending to how can we step out? How can we come back? What happens when we're air quotes graduating? Those are also moments to think about belonging, right? We, how do you graduate and then become part of a alumni community, for instance, right? We have some of those models. Obviously, we have them in universities, but I think they're really interesting to think about what they could be like in other kinds of organizations and in other kinds of learning flows, for instance, especially as you started us off thinking about lifelong learning, that's got to be all about being able to loop back in, know that you still belong, that you can tap back in, you can refresh. Like, what if we thought of it as not leaving but refreshing, right? That you're refreshing by going to do something else, and now you're back and you're fresh.
2: Yeah, the very the very point that I wanted to make is people are just kind of flowing in and out of these uh, of ex- experiences in time. So it might be a, a conference or a class. But, you know, then in between that, they're going to be somehow or another interacting, most likely, with other people from your organization, with peers. How how can you account for that and how you think about designing learning? Community, of course, is, is a big thing with our audience and the idea of learning communities. People are always sort of dipping in and out of, of communities in, in, in different ways. And just really being able to account for that is, uh, is essential if you, if you want to be successful yeah. at it.
0: Yeah. And accounting for it is a part of it. And then I think that, like... Remembering that accounting, you, if you know you want to be accounting for it, that is you're noticing that you need to design, mm. that you want to be creative around how do you do it. It's not just and I even I even share a story in the book of diverging and exiting from one of my mentors who just always opened up anything to say, like, there are going to be some comings and goings. What are they? And we just like get those out. I think that the accounting for is a piece, but it's also like that's our nudge to creatively design right. for what we know is going to happen.
2: Right. And I want to I want to turn to that before we wrap up today. I'll just note that you you've said, what well, you've articulated um, the, these moments. I would encourage anybody listening to think about those moments in relationship to the types of experiences that your organization offers, how do they they apply? Can you identify those moments within your learning experiences? And as you noted, Susie, these aren't from on high. You may have your own unique and particular moments to the types of experiences you're delivering, but identify those, account for them, and then you can turn to designing um, for them. So often a lot of this is just left a chance. You just sort of hope people are going to feel that sense of belonging. It's all going to work out. And a lot of times it does, but we can be much more intentional. We can be much more conscious. We can design for belonging. So can you can you talk about some of the, the, the tools, the levers that we have available to us to, to do that?
0: Yeah, yeah, and we can go. We can go lever. We can go lever. I'm actually a lever person, but right. I think there are a lot more lever people. You say lever, I say lever. lever.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: the The idea here is yes. When you know, wow, there's a moment that you want to work on, and it, it makes me think. I do also want to mention um, there are more moments, and in particular, another moment to think about is the moment of repair. Mm-hmm. Right. That's that's again about. Knowing that they're going to be mistakes. We are, after all, humans that we are designing for. We are not perfect. We will not be. I don't know what our role is going to be in some perfect AI world, but I imagine, right, and for now anyway, we're going to have to even do repair around the things that AI creates. In any event, repair is a really important moment, and that can be micro, thinking about how do we repair for micro aggressions or experiences to to bigger changes that we need to make based on perhaps feedback. So repair is another moment. The As we're entering into this space of deciding, okay, this is a moment I need to design for. Perhaps I'm thinking about contributing or repair or diverging and exiting that we were talking about. We want to open up the, these levers are kind of the toolkit of design. And by that, I mean that we're just reminding ourselves one of our creativity and two that everything in our environments is in fact designed and it can be consciously, intentionally designed or redesigned. So we can think about space, role, ritual, time, groupings, schedules, Even food and gear and clothing, these are all things that we consciously design. And you can kind of go through even a checklist, right? If you're imagining you're building a conference, of course you're thinking about all those things, but are you thinking about them with the lens of belonging? That's what matters is that intersection. How can the space contribute to a sense of building community? For instance, could you use visual storytelling tools, banners, or screen-based things where you're actually hearing the stories of participants live in your space? How do you make a space that's kind of light-filled and cozy so that people can have small groups and you can flex to when a large group comes together, that you can host in a space the kind of conversations that you want people to be able to have? We as humans are really attuned to what space is offering us. And we, for whatever reason, as learning designers, don't actually necessarily go as far as we could, I think, with really thinking about space as a lever of design. I also role in ritual are my other two top levers to think about. We part because there are things that we get really used to. Well, we always do it that way, or there's always been this counselor, or there's always been this teacher. But in fact, we might want to think about, is there a new role? Is there a matchmaker that's there at the threshold and is helping people with different experiences get to know each other? Is designing ways for people to have small group conversations? What is that matchmaker role in it? And I'm not... Meaning, like a romantic matchmaker, I mean, just thinking about all the different kinds of roles. And I think in the adult learning space, we're pretty good at knowing that there are coaches, knowing that people see therapists, right? There are some roles that we know that might be adjacent to our learning spaces that we could bring in in more interesting ways. But I, I just think we can open up our creativity as we're noticing what kind of a moment we want to design for, what kind of a rule could actually be supportive of it.
2: I think that notion of uh, rituals is so interesting, too, which you may be uh, about to talk about more, because I think a lot of times we don't identify the ways that we tend to do things as rituals and rituals yeah. are just so powerful. I, I think they're just one of the, the well, you, you talk about these as, as levers. It's a, it's a very powerful lever A ritual is.
0: Yeah. Ritual ritual. And that, that is the other thing to think about. And those could be entry rituals. They can be feedback, sharing rituals. They could be rituals for how do you depart? How do you communicate? We can create in fact rituals around everything that we need to build our belonging. And the key with building a ritual is really just thinking beginning, middle, and end. How do we come into it and know what we want to focus on? How do we then sit in whatever the experience is? That might be sharing in some way. That might be bringing in new creativity tools. And then how do we close it? How do we decide what we carry forth then into the next bit of our work together? Um, and rituals can be really interesting kind of intersections with space, also with time. These are places where we can kind of flex our muscles of creativity.
2: Well, as with the moments, we're only scratching the the surface here. But I'll say, well, about your work and about the, the book specifically, I mean, you you provide this this wealth of material for people to work with. I mean, you have this idea of the moments, looking at those moments. Determining which ones really fit your situation, which ones you want to add, and then looking at these, I'm not sure if I'm saying levers or levers now, I've sort of lost which, which one I prefer, but, but you have these these design tools to then work with those moments. So you've got this, this it, it, it's a very practical set of material to work with from the book. I'd love to ask, um, you give a lot of individual exercises in the book, and those are those are fantastic. If you're working with the book or with these ideas as a team at a learning business, um, so your business, it designs events, experiences, communities, how would you go about sort of using the, the book as a, as a team to, to really help you move the dial on increasing belonging in your learning experiences?
0: Absolutely. I mean, and I think it may be that the exercises come across as individuals, exercises because books are kind of pitched towards an individual right i actually use every single exercise in it as a tool in the context of groups working together so i feel really comfortable with that so i like to get groups to as as i mentioned do the emotional journey map or the mapping of places of belonging so recently Mm -hmm. i heard somebody did with a team they just asked the question of In our whole building, this is like a corporate campus, in all of our space, what are your spaces of belonging? And people just mapped places that they felt. And they actually noticed some interesting patterns of junior colleagues not being comfortable in the whiteboard spaces that they had. So that's like a super specific example, but that's that's the idea of when we use some of the tools that are to understand when and where different people are feeling, belonging or not, that gives us then this really interesting design data to work with. So those are all tools that I think are really easy to use with groups, right? You can have a meeting of everybody. You could get everybody from your conference, for instance, to take a five-minute experience and map something or do that emotional journey map so those tools can be used with groups and then you need kind of a design team who wants to look at that and be like oh wow okay it feels like that moment of entry is not working in this learning experience let's dig in on that and then where you go then is framing up a design challenge with a how might we So that's one of the tools that's in there, but groups can do that. You can do it individually and bring it to a team and then look across. How did people generate those? How might we? And that's where, and the, the simple version of that is just like, how might we support more belonging for blank new participants at our conference by focusing on a moment. So the moment of entry using a design lever perhaps rule or ritual. I don't know if that's going to make sense in audio, the way that I laid it out there, but you want to get to that kind of a question. And you'll notice what we have in there is the who, who are we worried about, concerned about, interested in designing for, supporting more belonging? What's the moment we want to focus on? And what's a lever or two that we might want to brainstorm with? We didn't come up with a solution in creating that. What we did was create a launch pad for then a team to brainstorm and generate ideas for how you could do that then in your next conference. How do you support those new participants with a roller ritual at their entry to the conference or the experience? So that's kind of, that is in a nutshell, the design process. And it's a great way to work in a collaborative team. And in fact, it's best done in a collaborative team as opposed to just on your
2: own. Thanks for that. And I, I think it is so powerful to go through those kinds of exercises together, to have just a discussion around all of these um, concepts together. I'll, I'll, I'll give the plug as I try to do in these podcast episodes that having everybody listen to this podcast episode and have it as a background shared together and bring into the room can be very powerful as a way to get the, the group involved. Now. Before we wrap up, I'd like to do what I, I usually like to do with guests on leading learning, since we are a, a show about learning and specifically about lifelong learning. It'd be great to get a sense of how you approach your own lifelong learning. And given the nature of our conversation too, if you have any anything to share around places or spaces where you feel like that, that deep sense of belonging kind of enhances your ability to learn.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that question. So my approach to learning, I try to bring a design lens to it. And for me, that is seeking out analogous contexts. So different kinds of places to immerse myself in. So, and sometimes those are places where I feel like I belong. And sometimes those are places where I don't necessarily. So for instance, I recently went to a cycling class those group exercise classes where they play loud music mm-hmm. and there's a very energetic, and I'm an energetic person, but a very energetic leader of the class. And they're kind of like the lights do things and it's very intense. Mm-hmm. And it's not really a place that I feel super comfortable. But for me, going to a place like that was really helpful for my learning because there I could see in bold relief, all the moves that they were making to create that experience. And it just then gave me ideas for that, you know, there was a whole entry ritual in fact there where you had to get like special shoes and you had to clamp them in. And anyway, and there there were ways in which I felt them bringing me in And there are ways in which I felt like I was just left to my own devices and I felt quite uncomfortable, but getting to immerse and experience that and then step out and reflect on it is really powerful. Because I think one of the things that we forget if we're designing learning experiences is to go have other experiences so we can reflect on how they were built. So that I think is really like key to me is I just try and put myself in a lot of weird, different, uncomfortable spaces so that I can see how they were built more and kind of in bold relief, I guess.
2: Thanks for sharing that, because I think it is such an important point, too, that as much as we want belonging, want help to, to cultivate belonging, there are also many times when each of us as individuals has to get uncomfortable. We have to maybe be someplace where we don't fully belong in order to sort of push ourselves forward and, and to, and to learn in the way that we would like to learn. I think the key is you want to, you want to be prepared for that. You want to be sort of intentional and conscious yeah. about it. You. you don't want to have it just thrust on you. Right?
0: Yeah. It's a design exercise, right. right? And that, that's, that's what I'm seeking is a design exercise. And the other part of the question you asked is where is a place of belonging that I have? And most of my places of belonging kind of in my life are very physical places. But I'll say that professionally, right now, my place of belonging is with a design collective that I've been working with, and they're called Design for Emergence. And it's a distributed group of folks. And we support each other to, in fact, push ourselves to do things like what I just described to go have authentic learning experiences that are a little bit uncomfortable and out of our you know, that are really in our ZPZ, right? Our zone of proximal development that are a little bit outside so that we can reflect together on what we're learning there.
1: Dr. Susie Wise is a learning experience designer and author of the book Design for Belonging, How to Build Inclusion and Collaboration in Your Communities.
2: In the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 361, you'll find a couple of links where you can learn more about Susie's work and connect with her, and we do also highly recommend checking out her book. Jeff and I would be grateful if you would rate the Leading Learning Podcast on Apple
1: Podcasts or wherever you listen, especially if you find the show valuable. Your ratings and reviews help us show up when people search for content on leading a learning business.
2: And please spread the word about Leading Learning whether in a one-on-one conversation with a colleague or a personal note, or on social media. In the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 361, you'll find links to connect with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook.
1: Thanks for listening and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.